0: This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for October 18th, 2019. In this week's episode, Apple sends browsing data to Tencent in China. A Google exec says Nest owners should warn guests that their conversations might be recorded. And a dive into Josh's talk at Mac Tech Conference... About having a security mindset. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast: veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst Josh Long. So usually when
1: we record this podcast, uh, Josh and I are each in our home studios. We both actually work out of home, and we each have a specific room that we use to record podcasts that is acoustically not too bad and where our microphones are set up. But Josh is on assignment this week. He's at the Mac Tech Conference in Los Angeles. Um, Mac Tech, I'm told, is a wonderful conference. It's a high-end Apple conference, right, for developers and consultants, people in technology, and security analysts.
2: Right, IT professionals. Uh, Basically, anybody who really likes to geek out about all kinds of Apple-related things uh, and and get into like real technical information, um, that's a lot of the kind of thing you'll find at this conference.
1: It sounds interesting. And we're going to discuss today Josh's talk that he's giving this afternoon, or more correctly, yesterday afternoon, if you're listening to this Friday when we publish it. The talk is called Hacking Your Own Thinking, Developing a Security Mindset. Uh, I find this a fascinating topic, and especially I was saying before the show uh, that I just finished reading Edward Snowden's memoir recently, and it made me rethink a lot of the things that we do around computing. And we'll discuss these in the future. Um, But we're going to go through some of your ideas about developing a security mindset. I think... To encapsulate the concept of your talk, it's basically how to be like Josh, right?
2: Yeah, (laughs) kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, um, it it has a lot to do with looking at the world around you in a certain perspective that we'll talk about.
1: We'll get to that later. We've just got a couple of news bits that we want to talk about. One of them that actually got a lot of press is that Apple in China sends user data to a Chinese company uh, for the fraudulent website check and warnings in Safari. Now, they send this to a company called Tencent, which I believe is the biggest um, telecoms company in China. And there was seemingly a lot of outrage about this, but then Apple came back and responded to it.
2: Yeah, so the reason that this became such a big deal is because in Apple's privacy information it's there's not there's not a lot of clarity in what information gets sent to Google what information gets sent to Tencent the reason that this was so controversial is because in Safari's privacy notification that they give to users they specify Something that is kind of vague. They just say, before visiting a website, Safari may send information calculated from the website address to Google Safe Browsing. Okay, well, we've heard of that. We know what that is. And Tencent. And Tencent safe browsing, that's how it's worded, to check if the, fr- if the website is fraudulent. These safe browsing providers may also log your IP address. That's the other thing that people were concerned about. So there's two things here. So To break it down, first of all, they're talking about uh, the safe browsing services. And essentially what that is, is um, uh, that Google and Tencent both operates a, a service for their users that will check to see whether a site that you're visiting is something that's known to be malicious, known to be a phishing scam page, or things like that. Um, Now, going along with that, this is not something where the entire address of whatever page you're visiting is getting sent to those companies. It's not exactly like that. It's a little more private, the way that information is shared. And that's what Apple is kind of alluding to when they say information calculated from the website address. Is that the same thing as a hash? That's exactly what it is. Yeah, they're taking a hash of the address and they're only sending part of that hash to Google or Tencent servers. And then if there are multiple matches, then you get um, uh, a file, basically, that has all the matches in it that your device then checks against.
1: Okay, so what people were worried about um, was particularly that Apple might be helping the Chinese track people in China with these issues about an app um, in Hong Kong that the protesters were using to identify the location of police um, and other issues uh, that Apple has approved and denied and approved apps. And Apple seems to be bending over backwards a
2: bit to placate the
1: Chinese. And so I think this worried a lot of people.
2: Right. And so when people saw Google safe browsing and Tencent safe browsing, that made a lot of people assume that what was going on here was that that information was being sent to both sources. And a lot of people are like, well, wait a minute. Now, this also says that these safe browsing providers may also log your IP address. So wait, that means that they know my IP address some company in China? You know, I never said that that was okay. And so Apple clarified what's really going on here. And they say that it's very specifically if your IP address indicates that you are in mainland China, then this uh and the information the safe browsing information goes to Tencent. That's that's who your a safe browsing provider is. If you're anywhere else in the world, then then Google is your safe browsing checker.
1: Okay, so it's not as bad as some people think it is. Um, but it's good to be aware of this. And, and I think if there's anything we should take away, it's that Apple has all these security privacy features in their apps and devices that they don't explain very well. And that means that when people do learn what they're doing, they have more questions than answers often.
2: Yeah, th- this is a good point. And uh, you know, another thing is that some people are are now that they are aware of this, some people are like, well wait a minute, I don't even think I want Google to necessarily have my IP address. If you're so the they're gonna of person, turn off safe
1: browsing and they're gonna be at risk.
2: Yep. <laughs> well that's the that's exactly the risk because you, you have to kind of pick one or the other. You you can either have the extra safety built in if you leave Google safe browsing checks on uh, which, of course, I would recommend. Um, you know, but some people might be real extreme privacy advocates and say, "Nope, I'm I will I refuse to ever have anything to do with anything that is Google Google related." And so, I'm going to make sure to turn that off just to make sure my IP address doesn't show up in any Google anything. So um, if you do that, though, yeah, you're putting yourself at risk because uh, you may end up going to a site that's known to potentially be harmful. And um, so you have to you have to weigh that I, I think for most people. Send, having Google log your IP address is not a big deal because if we're really honest, Google has your IP address anyway. <laughs> <laughs> because G- Google Analytics, you know, is built into practically yep. every website. Yeah, uh, there's Google Ads all over the place. And even and if you in- don't
1: use Google as your search page, you are interacting with Google stuff behind the scenes, and
2: you don't even know it. Right right it's very, very hard to completely get rid of google out of out of your life and never touch a Google server.
1: okay, well, that brings me to a to- a very brief topic that we're going to use to segue into your talk, and this is an article in BGr. A Google executive says nest owners should warn guests that their conversations might be recorded now we've discussed uh, in a number of episodes about All of these recordings, whether it was Google or Facebook or Amazon or Apple, and Apple, for one, has stopped doing these recordings until they can come up with a better um, way to handle this. They record this so they can try to find what their uh, intelligent assistants didn't understand. Um, And, of course, this makes sense, except some of these recordings are extremely personal and extremely private. So a Google executive is saying that if you have a house with a Google Home device or an an Amazon Echo, etc., you should warn your guests. But my reaction to that is, well, if I sit down in a coffee shop with someone and they put their phone on the table, they might have Siri on or Google or Alexa or whatever it is. We're
2: surrounded by these things. Right. It's it's a really fair point because... Uh, you know, you've got devices everywhere that can listen into you, right? Um, not everybody necessarily has that feature turned on, but there are enough people that do that, uh, that have some device around that will activate. If you say something that sounds enough, like the, the wake word, you know? Um, hey, seriously. Right. I, I've actually. <laughs> I'm sorry if had- I just set off someone's phone. But <laughs> I've actually seen that happen yep. in a meeting before where I'm sitting there and, you know, there's a whole bunch of people, you know, people often just put their phone down on the table in front of them. And and somebody's phone has actually gone off in a meeting before where somebody said something. I don't think it was, hey, but they said something and then the word seriously and somebody's phone actually activated right in the middle yeah. of the meeting. So it really does happen. And uh you know it also happens too where sometimes you you happen to say something that sounds like your Amazon Echo's wake word or your Google Home device or whatever um it's probably a little less likely that you're going to say something that sounds like you know the Google activation okay phrase.
1: Google yeah Alexa though you might have a kid or a pet or your name might be Alexa
2: <laughs> right now Amazon actually does give you a couple of different options. So you can choose to have it the wake word be Amazon or Echo, I think, are the other options. But then you risk, you know, anytime you're ever talking about Amazon or your Echo device, yeah. now you've got to worry that that's going to activate it as well. So they should uh,
1: allow people to create their own wake word, but I understand that this is difficult because it it actually involves um, training the device to hear that word in many, many different ways, and frequencies, and speeds, and 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 when it's elided with another word. So it's really not that simple.
2: Yeah, and, and I've also said that for for a long time that custom wake words would be really nice. Um, also, from just a general security-minded perspective, you know, you don't necessarily want advertisements and people walking, you know, b- by your house to shout something knowing that you have some particular device <laughs> and yeah. hope that it gets picked up by your device. Uh y- you know, it's it would be much better if you could customize your wake word and have that not be something that everyone just knows. Um I'm sure eventually we'll get to that point where devices will give us that option, but we're not quite there yet. Okay, so all of this fits into your talk about developing
1: a security mindset. And you and I, when we see these articles, we're already aware of the implications. And you know, my first thought was, sure, the Google or the Amazon device, but what about the phone? What about the watch? What about the AirPods? You've got AirPods on. Maybe you're in your office and you've got your AirPods on and you've paused them because someone came in to talk. How do they know that they're not being recorded by the AirPods at the same time? We mentioned that last week um about this live listen feature where you can use your phone as a um where you can use your phone sort of as a microphone to stream into the airpods but the airpods could be recording themselves because they have microphones um so let's let's start going through your talk you've got some top level bullet points and the first one i think is probably the most important security pervades everything you know, back in the day when I started working around this stuff, it was always an afterthought. It was, oh, there's viruses we need to protect against them. Um, we need to back up our files. And it's changed so much. Security is everywhere.
2: Right. this is not uh, something where, you know, all we're talking about with security is, you know, antivirus. Uh, th- that's certainly something that's important. Um, that's something that's still there. But... um, it's not the only thing to consider when it comes to securing your accounts, securing your devices, um, securing your whole digital world, your digital footprint. Um, you know, people have accounts on social networks, and uh, you've got bank accounts, uh, you've got all kinds of different kinds of accounts that have varying levels of security. Um, that have varying levels of uh, respect to your privacy. And so there's so much to consider. And uh, and and what this whole talk is really all about is developing a frame of mind where everything that you do throughout every day, you're thinking about um, how to think about this uh, from a different mindset. So, for example... Um, if I wanted to do something bad, let's say I, if I were a bad guy, how would I look at this situation? Is there something... How could you
1: exploit something? What yeah. is... How,
2: exactly. Where are the holes? Right. Um, and it may not necessarily be that there's some gaping security flaw, but just sometimes if you think about something that is very commonplace, very ordinary in a different way, you can realize... How incredibly stupid it might actually be that we're <laughs> doing certain things in certain ways, uh, and and I, I can give some examples of that. Um, but but that's that's kind of the the essence of of what I'm going to be talking about is is um, the security is everywhere, and and it's also the, the next this also goes into security is everybody's problem. So if you're an employee, uh, it doesn't matter who you are in a company, you are a potential target for attackers that want to breach that company. Um, and, and even if you're, even if you don't have a job, even, you know, if you're just talking about yourself as an individual, security is your problem. It, it, there, there are things that you need to be aware of in order to make sure that you're protecting yourself.
1: I would think it's probably even more of a problem for individuals because they don't have an IT department who's going to talk them through certain best practices. Now, when I met my partner six years ago, she wasn't really aware of these things and she's gotten to know. And so now when she sees something odd on her phone or her iPad and she's not sure she's, she hesitates. She doesn't give the information to the website. She doesn't click on the link. Um, That's the kind of thing that you do learn in a company regarding your company work, but for your personal stuff, Well, you just need to live with someone who knows all this. But these are things that people can learn through simple examples just to make you stop and think before doing things reflexively. Exactly. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about some more practical examples of why security is everyone's problem.
0: If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Intego's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get 40% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intigo.com today and then use the promo code PODCAST19 at checkout to save 40%. That's PODCAST19 to save 40% on complete Mac protection and security with Intigo's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intigo.com today.
1: So I just want to talk about one thing before we move on where security is everyone's problem. And that's your bank account. You mentioned this briefly. Um, Think of how important it is for your bank account to be secure. Now, back in the day when you used to have to go to a bank to get money, um, we didn't really worry about that. They'd check your signature and someone could forge it maybe, but it wasn't, it wasn't the kind of thing that an anonymous person halfway across, halfway across the globe could get into your account. Um, That's probably the place where people first discover advanced security. Now, when I left France about six years ago, um, the bank that I was using had a system where I had a six-digit code, and every time I would log in, there would be a 16-square block with numbers in different squares, and I would have to click the squares in the order of my code, and and that's kind of good because it's random. Um, When I came here, my bank has what they call a secure key, which is a little dongle You press and hold it, put your PIN, press a button, you get a six-digit code. So these are both two-factor authentication methods, and we are constantly talking about two-factor authentication. I think many people have bank accounts, and they don't even think that this is two-factor authentication. They don't think how powerful this form of security is.
2: Right, yeah. This is is something that um, almost every uh, email provider is offering some way to enable two-factor authentication now. Uh, even if it's an SMS text message, which, as we've talked about before, is not the most safe and secure way of doing um, <laughs> two-factor because there are ways that uh somebody can spoof your phone essentially and get those uh text messages instead of you. Um so there are some potential problems with it, but guess what? It's way better than not having a second factor because if all that you're using to authenticate is just a password, um you know, there are password databases that get breached all the time and we don't often hear about them until it suddenly becomes public knowledge and now everyone's password from that database is out there in the public.
1: Yeah, and as we've said many times, use secure passwords, use a password manager. Don't reuse your passwords because the biggest risk is that the security breach of one database finds your email address and password that you've used elsewhere. And and so one of your slides has a a quote from a typical user. Why would anyone want to hack me? I'm not that interesting, but everyone is interesting, aren't they?
2: That's right. You know this, and the reason that I quote a typical user is because this is something that I hear all the time. all the time. Yep. People say, you know, there's there's no re- why would anybody want to infect my computer? Why would anybody want to to fish me to send me a phishing email? Um and hack into my Facebook account or my Gmail account or or whatever it might be. It's not so much that you're particularly interesting; it's that everybody is interesting to an attacker on some level. Um, so one of the things that, f- just as an example, you know, let's say you're not a celebrity. Uh, you know, m- maybe you only have a few dozen friends on Facebook. <laughs> So, why would anybody want to get into your Facebook account? Um, Well, it's not even so much that someone is wanting to target you or get into your Facebook account in particular. But if they happen to, through some data breach, get an email address that's associated with you, and if they get a password that you've used, it doesn't matter if it's on Facebook because if you're not following best practices and you're sharing this, you've got the same password on multiple sites. Then, a lot of times, what attackers will do is uh, what's called a credential stuffing attack where they take known usernames or email addresses and password combinations, and they'll just put them into any website that they you know want to exploit and so, for example, they might use your email address and a password that you've once used. And if, if they're lucky, if you happen to be using that password on that, uh, on your Facebook account, they can log into your Facebook account. Now, what can they do with that? Um, okay, sure. They could look at things that you've posted. That's not particularly interesting necessarily, but what they could do also is they could send a message to somebody that, you know, somebody that you're connected with and say, Hey, I'm stuck overseas. And, uh, you know, I have no money. Um, I'm having trouble, you know, whatever, getting, uh, money out of my bank account. They don't believe me that I'm in a different country. Is there any way that you could wire me some money? And because that's coming from that person's face, Facebook account. Now their friend is much more likely to believe that this is real and they're, you know, it's somebody that they know. So, you know, of course I want to help them out. Um, This is just one of many examples of why it's so important to not think, you know, just because I'm not somebody all that interesting, that nothing bad is going to happen to you and that, you know, you don't need to worry about any of the security stuff. In a way, it's
1: like vaccinations. If everyone is vaccinated, then it protects more people who maybe for some reason can't be protected fully. And and your example there is wonderful because there are variants of that scam where people will uh, send emails spoofing a uh, from address, right? And you'll get them and you look at them and say, I know my friend doesn't use that kind of language or the spelling's wrong or the grammar's wrong. Um, but Facebook has that sort of authority that when you get a message through Facebook, you're trusting the authority of Facebook, and the fact that you think that anyone who logs into Facebook is the right person. So yes, someone may not be targeting you directly. They may be targeting your friends, or they may be targeting a specific, let's say you have someone who works in, who is a consultant for a government, let's just say, and they can't get to that person directly. They might get into your account to try and Maybe find where they're going. Maybe find more about where they live and that sort of information. No one is immune to being attacked as leverage for another attack. Now, this type of attack you're talking about falls under the category of social engineering, and you have a a section of your talk which discusses that.
2: Right. There's a whole bunch of different examples of this. Um, There's uh, various kinds of phishing emails um, one is called CEO fraud, um, where somebody basically pretends to be your boss and says, "Hey, this is really urgent, and you know, I, I already used the example of wiring some money, but you know, whatever it is that they want you to do this, and they want you to do it now, and there's no time to wait." Um, well, it's and really one thing easy. that they could
1: do is even pretend that they've lost their password. If you're working in IT, yeah. and I need a password for this or this person,
2: or I need to yeah. get into this server. Exactly right. And so you might actually believe that they're sending something from their personal account. In other cases, your email program um, or, or website that you're logging into to check your email might not list the whole email address and it might just give their first and last name. And if you're not really careful, if you don't hover over it or click on it or whatever to check that it's actually their email address. And when you hit reply, that it's actually going to their real email address, you might end up replying to an email and, and sending something to somebody who's not really your boss. Um, that obviously could be a bad thing.
1: It's funny because I've got a copy of your slides in a PDF. And when I saw CEO fraud, my first thought
2: was, well, yeah, CEO fraud. It's not uncommon, is it? Oh, well, that's true too. Um, we talked about private messages, um, online personality quizzes or, you know, find out your my little pony name or whatever the, (laughs) the your whatever name, uh, your Star Wars name, your Star Trek name, whatever it might be. Um, there's all kinds of quizzes like this that, uh, try to, in some cases, exploit your, um, you know your desire to to fill out some fun thing and sometimes they'll throw in questions like you know where was uh you know your mother born or something like that um and some of these questions sometimes are security questions on some of your accounts so be very careful when uh it, basically just avoid filling out those kind of quizzes
1: Yes, I'll link to an article on the Intego Max security blog that I wrote in 2017, and I looked at some of Apple's security questions. What's the first name of your best friend in high school? What was the name of your first pet? What was the first film you saw in the theater? And you sometimes see people uh, under the guise of just starting a discussion on Twitter or Facebook who may ask a question like that. You know, uh, what was the name of your first pet? Well, everyone's going to remember that. And you should just be aware that these are things you should never give out. Also, in this article, I explain other strategies um, for dealing with these questions, such as, well, answer the question, but answer it with a secure password instead of a real answer. Just make sure you keep track of which questions you were asked and how you answered them.
2: Right. And another thing that a lot of times people who are trying to trick you uh, might say to you, this This could be in person, it could be over the phone, um, but someone will often ask can you help me, and the reason that they ask that this is a psychological uh attack because what they 're doing is they 're exploiting your your good nature your kindness your your tendency as a human being to want to do something nice to help someone else uh, and so be very careful about that and and that 's not to say you know you should never trust anybody, but just be careful and be aware that sometimes people do. Uh, you know, try to exploit your human emotions and things like that.
1: Says Josh, who on the next slide has a frame from the X-Files that says, trust no one.
2: <laughs> yeah, so there, there's really a lot more to developing a secure mindset than just not trusting people. And that's where I'm going with that. Um, the idea is that we we can actually retrain our brains. If we want to, we can um, force ourselves to try to think differently about, um, about everything in the world around us. Try to think about it from a different perspective in every situation that you, that you come into, uh, regardless of the circumstance, just take a look at at your surroundings and think how can, can, uh, somebody exploit this pretend you know role play pretend that you are a bad guy that you're an attacker that you want to do something bad it doesn't matter what it is it's, is it stealing something is it tricking some somebody uh, is it stealing somebody's information um, you know there, there are all kinds of ways that bad people can do bad things with things that are just out there right next to us all the time.
1: A good way to learn about these is in the movies. You watch some Tom Cruise movies or those Bourne movies or anything where it's a heist or a caper film or spy films. Um, you can really see some interesting ways that these things are done. That TV series that ended last year, The Americans, about these Russians who were spies in the United States in the 1980s, was full of tradecraft things like that. Tradecraft is, is the skills you use to pass information on to get into things. Of course, this was the pre-computer days, so they didn't really do much digital stuff. Okay, so in your talk, you have a section, a game, what's wrong with this picture, and you've got some wonderful photos that show just some strange things that are perhaps insecure in one way or another. We'll have a link in the show notes to a PDF of the slides so you can check it out if you want. I just want to comment on the first one you have. So you've got a staircase with about eight stairs, and there's this gate in front of it. And I think your point of what's wrong with this picture is that anyone can climb over the... Um, The railing on the side. But I think there are cases like that where they've put up something to prevent people, say, from going up with a bicycle or a motorcycle. It's not entirely for security, but it could be for partial security.
2: Right, exactly. Yeah. And, and you see this kind of thing a lot, uh, if, if, especially if you're, if you're trying to kind of go around and, and train yourself to think like, you know, how would I exploit this? Um, you'll notice a lot of examples like this where it just seems sort of bizarre and you might kind of scratch your head going, okay. So they put in this big expensive gate, you know, with this big lock on it. And um, someone can just walk around, you know, and, cl- and climb over this thing, yeah. this little short, low to the ground rail.
1: Or the second one, which is literally a ladder, and it's not closed at the top. So anyone can just climb up and hop over.
2: Yeah, yeah. The second example is is a security gate where, you know, it... it Someone obviously decided that, uh, you know, securing access to this uh, apartment complex was important enough that they put in this big gate here. With two locks. Yes, with two locks. (laughs) And it has horizontal slats with a big gap in between. So essentially it's a ladder. What, what what were they thinking? And of course at the top, this, okay, fair enough. It's possible that maybe this type of door is designed to go in an area where it's going to be floor to ceiling. But in this particular case where this security gate was placed, um, you know, it doesn't go all the way up um, to, you know, the, to um, a barrier. There's no wall at the top of this. So you can just climb up and hop on over. So what's wrong with the next one? With this security camera? Ah, yeah. So uh, a lot of security cameras are advertised as vandal proof, and usually what what they ah. mean by this is that you know if you were to take a sledgehammer or something like you'd have to really really hit hit a camera hard to actually break it. Um, but what they don't really consider necessarily is that a vandal with a simple can of silly string (laughs) can effectively disable your expensive security camera system with, you know, a matter of a couple of dollars, you can get, you can get a can of silly string. So yeah, uh, uh, I saw a
1: movie recently, I think it was one of those ocean movies, like oceans 11 or something where they go into a place and they just take spray paint and they put it over the cameras and it's not that hard. Right. Right.
2: Yeah, I, I like silly string just because it's not destructive. You're not actually damaging yeah, it. Yeah, that's true. And it's silly. It is. <laughs> it's so silly.
0: Uh,
1: okay, if we, if we go a little bit further. So slide number 20, what's wrong with this picture? So you've got a picture of an iMac uh, with a keyboard and a mouse. I don't see what's wrong with it.
2: Ah, yeah. So uh, the, the example you're talking about is a kiosk computer in a hotel. Mm-hmm. And so it says uh, safe and secure public computing by Uniguest, um, and and it's just a you know a Mac. It happens to be an iMac. So okay, well Macs are secure, right? Um, okay, but do you really want to sit down at a public kiosk and type in your username and password to log into your email account or your bank account? Um, do okay. you really know that someone? who used that computer before you didn't come along and put a keystroke logger or something on there. And maybe they'll right. come back later after you're done logging into your accounts and now they have your passwords to get into your accounts. Right,
1: fair point. And you don't even know if the USB ports are protected, if someone could have um, slipped a thumb drive in with something to install anything, or if someone downloaded something. You have no idea. Um, I, I If I was in a hotel and I needed a computer to find out what time a movie's on or a restaurant or something, I would do that, but I would never enter a username. That, that just seems ridiculous. Um, the next one you have, and I think we discussed this uh, in the podcast a few weeks ago was is a charging station is maybe it's at a conference and there's a bunch of charging cables. Um, we've talked about these lightning cables that have little wifi uh, transmitters in them. And basically you just don't connect a cable to your device Uh, unless it is just a power cable. So remember when the older Macs had those round power cables, they didn't put any data through them.
2: Right. Yeah. And and unfortunately when you find these uh, charging stations at hotels and airports and things um, you don't necessarily know who put them there. Now, if it's in an airport, okay, they're going to have better security probably. Um, And, you know, nevertheless, I, I'm, I'm just really uncomfortable with the idea of plugging someone else's cable into my device, because I don't know that someone hasn't come along and tampered with this charging station. Um, you know, are, is it going to to try to suck data out of my phone or... Uh, it's it's something that has happened in the past, um, and Apple has controls in place to sort of help prevent this from happening. But nevertheless, um, it just uh, is something that you should be aware of, that sometimes things aren't what they seem, um, and you know there may be ulterior motives in some cases.
1: Okay, last example, and this is probably one that people might encounter more often than they would expect. Um, you've got some pictures of an ATM with a skimmer and without a skimmer.
2: Yeah, that's right. Um, This is not something that's necessarily easy to spot. Um, Skimmers uh, are essentially a little device that sticks on top of the card slot. And uh, these are actually also not just at ATMs, they're also um, on gas station uh, pumps um you you see these really they can be just about anywhere anywhere that you can put in a credit card there could be a skimmer attached to it a skimmer is just a little device that sits on top that fits snugly and you know it it fits flush it looks just like it should be there um at least to most people it does and you put your card in um the car, the machine that's supposed to be reading your card reads your card but also the skimmer device reads your card. And um, so essentially what these skimmers do is they collect your card information and they pass it along to an attacker who will come by later and collect that information.
1: And in some cases, I've heard over here, there are cases where there will be someone in a building opposite the ATM with binoculars or a telescope to be able to spot the pin code when you type it in. So you always have to obscure that. You always have to make sure that no one anywhere around you could see you putting in your pin code.
2: Right. Yeah, you never know where there might be a, a hidden camera because the same people who install a skimmer could also be hiding a camera somewhere, a very small one that's, you know, not in an obvious location. Um and so the the trick to this, by the way, um is pretty simple. Um well, as you mentioned, always, you know, cover up your PIN. I mean, you might feel kind of dumb doing it, you know, covering up your your never. uh your your pin punching hand with your other hand but uh but this is something i do and and i certainly recommend it but the other thing is to make sure there's not a skimmer just give it a little tug you know pull on it before you insert your card uh because you know if, if it's the machine and there's no skimmer attached then giving it a good tug is not going to damage the atm or the gas pump Uh, so just make sure that there's not something fishy going on before you put your card in. Hey,
1: Josh, what's that little thing in the corner up in the, by the ceiling
2: behind you there?
1: (laughs) I was just kidding. Josh is in a conference room in a hotel, I think. Um, and who knows if anyone's got a camera someplace and they're watching you.
2: You know, it's very probable, I would say in a hotel. In a hotel like that. Yeah. Yeah, there's probably cameras everywhere.
1: Okay, well, Josh, um, give a good show today for your talk. And until next week, uh, stay
2: secure. All right, thanks. Stay secure.
0: Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And If you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.